You're listening to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mondana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. My husband, Ian, is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am quite the newbie. Each week, he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin or Bitcoin adoption. I promise we keep it real light and fun. But before we get started, make sure you go to goals.flirtingwithbitcoin.com and stack your sats for the week. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. It's been a minute. It has. Yeah, Ian and I took some time off. It was Labor Day weekend, and we had a couple of trips that we went on. So we're back. We missed all of you very much. Hola, konnichiwa, buongiorno. <laughs> and I guess we got to add, because Germany's coming up on our on our metrics now, so guten, guten Tag? Is that how you say hello in German? I don't know. Can our listeners tell us if we butchered that? What's <laughs> guten, guten Tag? Guten Tag. Guten Tag. But we're in September now, and it was a really fun summer. I think the pod really took off this past summer. We got a lot of <laughs> fountainheads. <laughs> I think we decided we weren't going to call them that. <laughs> I mean, we need a name for them, but I, I like fountainhead. But we'll yeah. come with something else. Yeah, we like ran a lot of promotions on Fountain. And so, we, you know, week after week, we're getting a ton of new listeners. So hello, if you're new. Hello, if you've been with us for a minute. We're easing into the fall now. We still have a ton to talk about. But before we get started, let's talk about the block height. Uh, yes, the block height for today's episode is 573-829. And you can get 4,484 acres on Bitcoin Island for $1. A sunny day in Bitcoin Island. It's always sunny on Bitcoin Island. How could you resist? Uh, I could see why people might not want to do it. Yeah, because the price keeps going down. Uh, they, they don't understand. And hopefully today's episode will help them understand a little more. They don't understand. Funny enough, guys, we were like at a beach bar like two days ago. And Ian was just there sitting talking to some guys. Maybe they're listening now because they said they subscribed to the pod. Um, I mean, like beautiful weather. It's like drinks flowing. Just like go- it's just gorgeous day. And Ian's just trying to get people to understand Bitcoin and be more comfortable in, in, in buying it. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were genuinely curious. Yeah, so I was, absolutely. I was willing to engage. Yeah, you always are. It's just really funny to me whenever that happens. Like, we're on vacation, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but Bitcoin never sleeps. 24-7, 365. Yep. So what's been happening? You know, we haven't recorded in two weeks. So what's new? So the biggest thing that's happened since we've been gone is it's been, it's been one year since El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender. Their official national currency. Well, it sits alongside the dollar, but it's right. equal to the dollar as true, far true, as the currency. So one year, they're still standing. Still standing. They haven't collapsed. There's been a lot of articles written about El Salvador's demise. Um, but you can't argue with raw data. The data says that their GDP is up 10% or over 10% actually. Which is very different from the trajectory they were on before adopting Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... In- increased their trajectory overall but the but the more impressive part of that is this has happened kind of during covid mm-hmm. so as the whole world's been in a recession as the whole world has been in you know economic decline here's this little plucky you know pacific ocean country el salvador that's growing good for them and you can make a very strong argument that it's only because of bitcoin and they're becoming a proven model for Bitcoin adoption at a national level. Yeah, they're they're working out some kinks. You know, there's there's still problems with con- 
converting an entire country over to a different monetary so system. So what are those kinks? Like, what's one of those kinks? I mean, most of it is technological. And when I say technological, I mean, when people go to pay, there's still like that. Not everyone's paying with Bitcoin. Not everyone is prepared to really receive a Bitcoin payment. Mm-hmm. The Bitcoiners that are there are. But if you go into like some random shop that you're expecting to be able to pay because it's legal tender and either A, they can't do it or B, like they got to go dig some machine out that somebody gave to them. Like it's slowing things down a little bit. But in the places where it's like, no, we're all Bitcoiners, it's working flawlessly. That's great. Yeah, I mean, adoption takes time yeah, with anything. Yeah, yeah. Need to, there's parts of America that don't have, you know, internet. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, we're on what, iPhone 14 and it's still mm-hmm. got problems. <laughs> Lots of problems. <laughs> All right, so congratulations to El Salvador. We'll get there soon, guys, I promise. Ian's dying to visit. One of these days. One of these days. Okay, so what else is going on? So building off of that, um, you know, the story of El Salvador adopting Bitcoin as a currency is there was Bitcoin Beach. Yeah, this like small beach town that operated solely on Bitcoin. I mean, they were trying to. I'm sure there was, you know, not everything was Bitcoin. But you could get around solely on bitcoin if you wanted to in bitcoin beach that was the thesis and mm-hmm. it, it pretty much worked out mm-hmm. and so that was the model that was kind of pointed to when el salvador made the leap and said we're gonna scale this up to the whole country so in brazil someone's trying to start up bitcoin beach in brazil and so that's interesting because you know bitcoin beach in el salvador didn't really have any scrutiny you know they kind of flew under the radar only if you really knew about it people knew it was going on but most people didn't now with this one, it's like they're making an announcement before it's even like kind of up and running. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> we're it. We're talking they about it. They got us right? talking about it. But I think it's interesting because this is how a thing like Bitcoin is going to grow organically. You can't just convert every country over. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be like little small experiments all around the world. And then when your country or even maybe in the United States, like your state, sees the need for a solution like that, then they'll come ask more questions about, oh, how did you do this? And you'll have all this all this data and all this anecdotal data and real data to back up like why you should take it to the next level. So it's interesting that that's happening in Brazil because Brazil is the largest country in South America. Mm-hmm. I forget the timeline for Bitcoin Beach, but if you put the same timeline on Brazil, it'd be very interesting if Brazil made Bitcoin legal currency in the next five to 10 years. Like that really changes the game. It's a large economy. It's a massive economy. It does. I'm thinking though, like in America, Miami would be our Bitcoin beach, right? Uh, yeah. That's a fair assumption. I mean, yeah, Miami. Miami would be a good place, but I don't think that it's going to be Miami. I think it's going to be Texas. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, I think Texas and the like Bitcoin uh, Ranch. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in Texas that leads me to believe that there's going to be a lot of people advocating at the state level for the types of things that like Bitcoiners want. Mm-hmm. And so Texans tend to be like, you know, get your hands off my money, get off my property, you know, da 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 da. And so Bitcoin is kind of like goes with that ethos. Florida, I mean, Miami, sure, but Florida is still not necessarily that same ethos as Texas. I'm going to Miami, though, in two months, and so I'm going to try to buy things with Bitcoin as much as I can while I'm down there. Okay. Ian's not coming with me. It's a girl's trip, so... Um, There's an app that'll, like, pull up all the places you can spend Bitcoin. Yelp has it, too, but it's not completely... 
reliable. It's it's a capability that sometimes Yelp shows and sometimes doesn't. It's like one of the filter options for accept cryptocurrency, but it's happening all over, right? Yeah, it's just I mean, the coin adoption is it's it's there. It's it's the now. Yeah, and like the example of Yelp adding this filter, that's like kind of the equivalent of like Bitcoin Beach, mm-hmm. right? It's just a little bit of taste of Bitcoin mm-hmm. in this platform called Yelp, right? It's yeah. just a little bit of Bitcoin in this country called El Salvador. Even if you don't know anything about cryptocurrency, you're like looking at the different filters. It's like, oh, it takes reservations, has a bar, whatever, right? And one of them is accepts cryptocurrency. And you're like, whoa, okay, crypto is that real? That it's a filter now when I'm trying to find a place to go on vacation. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. All right, babe. What else is happening in the Bitcoin world? So two other quick stories before we kind of get into the topic for the day. Um, One is, you know, on this podcast, we talk about Unchained Capital a lot. There's another company that's pretty much the almost carbon copy. I don't know which one started first. Well, and these companies allow you to hold Bitcoin with multiple people or entities. Well, yes and no. So what Unchained Capital does and what this other company called Swan does is they basically made multi-sig wallets available via like a web app, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you didn't know how to do multi-sig on your own, they were like, look, you can do it with us. We'll hold one of the keys. You hold the other one and your Bitcoin is like safer than you just holding it on your own. Um, Swan allows you to actually buy Bitcoin within their app. So you can like set up a recurring buy, right? And it'll deposit it into your secure wallet. Um, Unchained Capital just kind of brought that feature online. I want to say like in the last week or two. But what Swan has done is taken it a step further now. And so to make Bitcoin an asset, the way that you would think of stocks and bonds, most people that like manage a large amount of money don't really do it themselves, right? They hire someone to do it for them. Those people are usually called financial advisors. But when Bitcoin comes on the scene, like your financial advisor, if you're holding your Bitcoin locally at home, they can't see it. If you're holding it like even on Swan or Unchained Capital, they can't see it. Swan will let your financial advisor see your Bitcoin portfolio. So now your financial advisor can see your entire portfolio and maybe make some suggestions to say, hey, you might want to offload some Bitcoin, move it into maybe a stock or bring it into cash something might be happening, you know, like they can make better. Or you don't have enough Bitcoin by more. They might make that analysis also depends on your financial advisor, Mm -hmm. right? But this is just kind of turning Swan more into a financial platform and less of a buy and hold Bitcoin Mm -hmm. platform. I think this is big because I think that financial advisors are actually itching to get into the Bitcoin game. If you work at a large entity like Charles Schwab, You can't even talk to your clients about Bitcoin. You might be the smartest guy and know everything about Bitcoin, but you're not allowed to talk to your clients about it because Charles Schwab doesn't offer it. And but how can a financial advisor make money off of being a Bitcoin advisor? Well, they're not a Bitcoin advisor. They're just able to see your Bitcoin Mm -hmm. as part of your overall portfolio. They're still advising you on your overall financial outlay. Right. And so one of the things they might say as a suggestion, just giving this as an example, would be, look, You have a lot of Bitcoin, but you're not actually earning a return on it consistently, right? It's very volatile. So you might want to lower your allocation of Bitcoin and you might want to put it into, this is not financial advice. This is just an example. (laughs) Let me guess, Tesla. No, (laughs) Uh, because Tesla is basically the same thing as Bitcoin right now. There's no, there's no, um, there's no dividend. There's no like consistent payout. Mm -hmm. Tesla is very volatile as well, right? 
So they might tell you like, sell some of your Bitcoin and buy Apple, mm-hmm. right? Or sell some of your Bitcoin and buy Microsoft. Sell some of your Bitcoin and buy one of these things that's gonna give you two to 3% on your money for just sitting there. If it appreciates, that's great, right? But if it doesn't appreciate, Apple is still paying out a dividend on the money for just sitting there. And so a financial advisor might say, look, you just need to rebalance your portfolio a little bit. I'm not saying don't have any Bitcoin, but you know, maybe sell 20% of it, move it into something that's going to pay you regularly. I thought we don't sell our Bitcoin. Again, this is a financial advisor enough, making a recommendation. Not me and I would not recommend this, but for people who have large portfolios of wealth in the millions or tens of millions, mm-hmm. this is the type of advice that they get, right? This is how they stay wealthy. <laughs> So an advisor might make a suggestion like that. Now they can see into how much Bitcoin you have if you want them to see, and they can make better recommendations based on what they can see. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so again, I wouldn't recommend that, but I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a dude that has a podcast with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so A super cute dude. Uh, all right, baby, what else? And the last one, which is a little shocking because I kind of just... <gasps> is this dramatic? I mean, it's a little dramatic. Hey, I'm Uh, here for the drama. So there was a guy on Twitter. I saw the tweet right before we went on vacation where he basically tweeted like, I'm about to go do like serve my time in jail. Mm. And I was like, what? And basically he got arrested for selling Bitcoin. A lot of legalese and I won't get into the details. It sounds like drugs. It does. It does sound like drugs, but yeah. it's more of a it's more of a um, paperwork problem. The breakdown. The guy's name is the Bitcoin Doctor or Doctor Bitcoin. That's his Twitter handle. Uh, that's like his like stage name or whatever. <laughs> his Twitter handle is R I Z Z N Risen. Uh huh. So he's going to jail. The feds raided his house. They took Ooh. his took his computers and stuff. And allegedly, based on his Twitter thread, they. They told him he didn't have anything to worry about. And any rational person knows when they take your computers out of your house, you have something to worry about. You're fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what happened is that the federal government is saying he was not in compliance because he needed to have a license at the state level. But the state said, we don't care what you do. You don't need a license. So we're not going to give you one. Like at the at the core, like that is what has a happened. A license to sell Bitcoin. Yeah, you have. Does to, that even exist? It's not necessarily a license to sell Bitcoin, but you have to register with FinCEN um, to do any type of like financial transactions. It's not a license to sell Bitcoin per se. It's a license to do certain types of financial transactions, and so to be in compliance with that FinCEN regulation, they were saying you need to have a license at the state level as well. But the state said. We don't care, so we're not going to give you one. And so he's caught in like this catch-22 where it's like, they're not going to give me the thing because they don't care, but then you're saying I'm not in compliance because I don't have the thing that they're saying I don't need, so they're not going to give it to me. I think this is more a shot across the bow at just Bitcoiners in general because the way he was selling it, a lot of people sell Bitcoin like this, and this is probably going to be a way to attack what are called um, decentralized exchanges. Mm-hmm. So like Coinbase is a centralized exchange and Kraken and all those places. But what if you like mine Bitcoin, you have some Bitcoin and you want to sell it to someone else directly? This is what they're going after? That's a good question. And I can't actually you answer. You don't know the answer. <laughs> I can't answer that, right? Because at, fundamentally, if we had a Bitcoin miner in our house and we mined some Bitcoin 
and someone knocked on my door and said, I'll give you cash if you give me that Bitcoin. Based on what I've read, I think I'm okay. What happens is that if every day someone comes to our door and says, I want to buy that Bitcoin from you, then we have a problem. Because we're running a business. Yeah. Okay. So that's my current understanding. But I think this guy's particular case is going to really elucidate (laughs) some of that uh, nuance. It's like if you have a little garden and you sell like some tomatoes you've grown to your neighbor versus like you're legit running a farm. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, hopefully I have that problem one day. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it's just one of those like, what's the line? Has the government overstepped its reach? Has the federal government overstepped its reach when the state government is saying like, I'm not going to put you into compliance? Yeah. Because we don't care about the compliance here. I would argue in this scenario, the fact that the state said we don't care, I put this in the same vein as like marijuana. Yeah. Right? Like they, they've decriminalized marijuana in a lot of states, but it's still illegal at the federal level. So like if the state kicks in your door, you're fine. But if the feds kick in your door, you got a problem. Well, that's why all these dispensaries only operate on cash. Yeah. And so... <laughs> <laughs> well, they operate on cash because they don't they don't have the ability to get a bank account. Exactly. Because the banks are federal. Mm-hmm. So like if dispensaries operated on a Bitcoin standard, they just have a different problem now, mm-hmm. which is, well, eventually you got to convert that Bitcoin into cash. And wherever you do that, you're going to have to explain where it came from. Oh, I'm a dispensary. Oh, well, you should be out. You know, you're out of compliance. Yeah, yeah. And now we're going to take away your marijuana license. You're so, set up to lose. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that the federal government is definitely overstepping here. Um, But that's kind of what they do, right? They overstep and then everyone has to fight back or accept it. Yeah, and I think that this further establishes Bitcoin as at least an asset. 100%. Yeah. Everything that's happening is establishing Bitcoin as an asset. That has value. Yeah. That should be used to exchange money. Yeah, because if it had no value like they're claiming, why do you care if I'm selling it? why do you care? Why are you in my business? I mean, you could argue they care because you're selling something that they think is a scam, but you don't get to determine value. They don't care about scams. People get scammed left and right every day in this country. Please. It's called politics. Yep. Um, But that being said... You know, what you just said kind of leads into what we're actually going to talk about today. You know, I was reading some stuff over the past couple of weeks, and then your cousin, who started helping us with the podcast. Shout out to my cousin, Cheyenne. He makes all of our clips. If you don't follow us on Instagram, definitely do, because he's been posting clips every single day from uh, our newest episodes down to some of our older ones. Um, our handle is Flirting with Bitcoin on Instagram, on TikTok and on Twitter. So check all of those out because we would love to be able to engage with you on all of those platforms. Yeah, the follows would be great. (laughs) (laughs) So Cheyenne said like, you guys say this term block height at the start of every episode, but I don't understand what that is. And so we ended up having like a conversation. I think it was like an hour maybe. But the point is, is that like, you know, Bitcoin is being looked at as like this new invention of money, right? And that's a good framing for it. However, from that conversation, from some of the stuff that I've read recently, I think there's an even better way to break it down, which is that like the word Bitcoin is a protocol and Satoshis are the asset. 
right? Like Satoshis are fundamentally Bitcoin, you know, one Bitcoin is 100 million Satoshis. Mm -hmm. Nothing makes up a Satoshi. So that's really what we're moving around on the network. But the Bitcoin protocol has all these other inventions in it. And block height is just one of them. And so what block height is, is it's a way of keeping time. And through our conversation, even I was like kind of learning some things as I was explaining it to him where I realized like, wait, block height and because of that, Bitcoin is the best timekeeping mechanism that we've ever had. All right, babe, let's get into it. Okay, so we have like Bitcoin is money, Bitcoin is energy, Bitcoin is love, which is my favorite. Mm -hmm. But now you're coming at me with this new concept of Bitcoin is time. This is a thing that I've read a little bit over the past like five or six years. Um, there's one Bitcoiner who I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's uh, Der Gigi, D-E-R-G-I-G-I. And I think he did a write-up, which you can find on Bitcoin Canon, which we talked about on last episode or the episode before last. Episode 28. 28, where he kind of lays this out, like Bitcoin is time. Um, and I've read that, but I never really thought about it more than, yeah, that's a really cool idea. But in explaining it to Shion, I had to like come up with analogies and explain like, well, why would we use block height? We already have dates and times. Like, just to bring it back to the basics, every 10 minutes, there's a new block height, correct? It's not exactly 10 minutes, but yes. Roughly every 10 minutes, new Bitcoin is mined. Yes. And that passage of time, according to you and Bitcoiners, is now the most accurate measure of time that we have? Yes. And here's why. Um, we, in modern times, don't think about dates and times and calendars Unless you're like kind of a programmer and you have to work with dates and times and calendars, I think a lot of people just take it for granted, right? But one of the big things I would argue like the first invention for like long-term timekeeping, and I'm probably wrong, right? But I would just I'll put this in the list, right? Is when to plant crops, right? Like knowing when to plant a certain crop so that there's enough growing days left so that it will successfully grow. So the first calendars were really just based on a year. Right, the first timekeeping mechanisms were a year. If you go back in time, you look at like the old Mayan calendar, for example, they basically say there's 360 days in the year. And then there's these like five extra days at the end of the year that we kind of like party it up, you know, and we're just like, these are five free days. And then we start the calendar over, right? And so for a very long time, throughout most of the world, that's kind of how time was kept. We corrected the calendar every year. So every year there's these five days, we kind of like, don't count them, but then we start the calendar over. And that went on for a very long time, basically until leap year, right? So with leap year, you say, okay, we're not going to give you five days of partying. We're going to give you one day every four years, mm -hmm. right? So now the calendar is getting corrected every four years, um, but it's more accurate within those four years. Block height says we correct the calendar every two weeks. So every two weeks, the Bitcoin protocol looks at how easy or hard it was to mine those blocks, right? So if they came in fast, like under 10 minutes, the protocol makes it harder. If they came in over 10 minutes, the protocol makes it easier. That's called the difficulty adjustment. And it's just programmed this way. It's programmed in. So every two weeks or roughly two weeks, there's a specific number of blocks that I'm not remembering right now. It does this adjustment. To keep it at 10 minutes. To keep it as close to 10 minutes as possible. And 
what is measuring that 10 minutes of time? There's a clock in the Bitcoin protocol. Well, the clock is the number of blocks. And that's what I'm getting at. The unit of time or on Bitcoin Island is blocks. So every 2016 blocks is when that calendar gets readjusted to try to make sure that blocks are within 10 minutes. And so I doubt there's ever been a block that came in exactly at 10 minutes, but the protocol is designed to say, whoa, 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 you're going too fast, slow down. Or whoa, 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 you're going too slow, speed up. And that's basically what we've been doing with calendars this whole time. But are we doing that with calendars this whole time? Or did we just establish them and that's where we go? Like no one's adding another leap year. You get a new, you get a day every four years. Right. And is that not as accurate as what you're describing? Well, that's only half of the equation. So the part that I'm describing now is Bitcoin, just like our current calendar, understands that there's a correction that needs to happen, right? Like our calendar, our current calendar knows it's not 365, it's 365 and a quarter. And so every four years, we as humanity agree that February has an extra day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really have an extra day. That's just how we do the correction on the global scale with you know everyone agreeing to that. But if you don't follow the calendar that we all use, if you're still using like the Islamic calendar, I don't think that February 29th exists, right? So it's still a construct of like, we agree this is how we tell time. With block height, it's just another agreement of how to tell time. And the only difference is that Rather than correcting every four years, we correct every two weeks, roughly. 200, 2016 blocks. So there's more like recent accuracy. Right. And so in, in I think it's statistics, there's like accuracy versus precision, right? So because it's not exactly every 10 minutes, it's not precise, but it's accurate. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think that's really interesting about block height as a timekeeping mechanism is like you and me we're old we don't have a block height birthday right but like one of your cousin's kids has been born since bitcoin existed they have a very specific block height birthday it's not even a birthday it's like a birth moment it's a moment We all know someone, or at least know someone who knows someone who has the same birthday as them, right? Mm. There's 365 days in a year, so it's kind of going to happen, yeah. right? But now with block height, it's a little bit harder for someone to have the same block height birthday as you or birth moment, right? Mm. It's a more um, accurate moment in time. Well, so is the hour and the minute. You know, I, I guess the difficulty I'm having here is like, why is this better why would we move over to telling time this way? And wouldn't we still say, yeah, it's this block height, meaning it was on this date at this hour at this minute? Like I said, I had to come up with a bunch of analogies to explain this is that um, throughout history, calendars have been arbitrarily changed, right? Allegedly, Jesus was born on December 25th. They just picked that date and they picked that date. Going back to my earlier statement, to coincide with that five-day period of partying of partying, when all the pagans were like, no, nah, this is when we reset the day, the calendar, you know, yeah. like New Year. They're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. That's when our, our Lord and Savior was born. <laughs> so party for him also, right? Like they did that. They just moved dates to a specific time to align with 
But that's moving dates. That's not moving the calendar. That's moving a holiday. That's an example of the manipulation that has happened to the calendar over humanity. Mm -hmm. Right? And so dates and the ability to control the calendar is one of those like power projection tools that's so soft power that like no one even thinks about. Right? But Louis C.K. has a great joke where he goes, you want to know who won? What year is it? Yeah. And if you say anything other than 2022, like, you must not be part of the world because... The Iranians have a different calendar year. Exactly, right? So there are people that have different calendars, Mm -hmm. but they have to convert into the other calendar when you want to, I don't know, sign a contract, right? Like, if you're selling oil... (laughs) And I would... I mean, I haven't used a computer in Iran, but I would assume that the calendars are all... The American calendar because Microsoft and Apple are exactly. the ones that have created these software. It's a that soft are used throughout the country. It's and a world. <laughs> exactly. It's a soft power projection. And so we live in the moment where this is the calendar. But like I just said, for example, like we don't have Bitcoin birthdays, right? There was somebody in history's past that their birthday was before Jesus. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm BC. So you immediately, you you segment the population and you say some of y'all exist in some other time period. It's like how we were born in the 1990s. That's how kids in the future are going to talk about us. (laughs) I think you meant the late 1900s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 1990s. I was not born in the 1990s. I was born in the 1980s. I'm going to be honest here. Okay, so what was the block height today? Can we go back to that number? So today the block height was 753834, and I think it's changed since we started recording because, you know... Time moves. Time moves. <laughs> okay, so let's say we're at the 700,050 block. Are you saying in the future, maybe 50 years from now, people are going to know roughly when that was? Like, oh, you were in the 750 uh, block height range that means that this was 40 years ago. Like, will people know that? Is that the assumption with using block height as the measure of time? I'm going to steal a quote from a, from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Where we're going, we don't need roads. You just said the Gen Zers or whatever say that we're born in the late 1900s, mm-hmm. right? They will talk about blocks like that. Mm -hmm. You won't have to say that that was 50 years ago anymore. It'll just be, in theory, assuming a world. People will just understand how much time that's capturing. This is like a philosophical question at this point because... Which I think that's where we head with a lot of these Bitcoin adoption questions because... When you say something like, oh, well, Bitcoin is money, but it's also going to be the new measure of time. I think that's really hard for people to digest. Like for me specifically, this is very hard for me to digest. I'm not like, yeah, yeah, obviously. Right. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? So again, like in my day job, I'm a computer programmer, right? And the company that I work for, dates and times is like the most important thing that we do. So no, I don't think that the average person will immediately change their thought patterns over and start measuring time in blocks. I don't think that's going to happen in a hundred years. Maybe, depending on how well Bitcoin does, but I don't think that's going to happen. We'll still have the concept of time, you know, five minutes from now, 10 minutes from now, 
two days from now. We'll still have days. We'll still have weeks. We'll still have months. Okay, that makes me feel better. (laughs) Right? Like that'll all still exist. But what I am saying is that since the first Bitcoin block was ever created, as long as there's a computer somewhere in the world running Bitcoin, that clock is just continually ticking forward. And think on a longer timeline. Maybe it doesn't happen in 100 years. But like we talk about the Romans. That was like 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. We don't use the Roman calendar anymore. Yeah. Right? We know the Romans existed. We, they have all their stuff left behind. They wrote down a bunch of stuff. We have some of their papers. They kind of talk about Jesus, right? Like we know the Romans existed. However, we don't use their version of time telling anymore. So let's talk about 10, 15, 20 years from now. Do you think that like, yeah, if you are a developer and you're coding something and there's a time capability that you need to have in there to measure time, like would block height then become the easier thing to use in coding because it doesn't have the chaos of like time zone and weekend and that nonsense that you deal with as a developer right now? Maybe. One of the big differences between living on a Bitcoin standard and like what we'll call modern or if you're a Bitcoiner, legacy Mm -hmm. standard, right, is let's just go back to only talking about Bitcoin, right? So in Bitcoin land, there's no weekends. There's no holidays. It's open. There's no such thing as a banking holiday. Every day is a holiday. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And so because it's always open and always running, you don't have this thing of like, oh, you can't do certain things between these times on this network, right? Like the banks are a network and they say during these hours, you can use the network and during these other hours, you can't. So with a 24 hour network, you can't have like multiple ways of telling time. You just have to have one one measurement of telling time. And that is what the block height is. It says, like for example, you could write contracts. If you're having a transaction with Bitcoin, I'm gonna sell you a house and uh, I'm gonna sell it to you for Bitcoin and you go to the contract and you're signing papers. And basically what you're signing when you're signing a, a deed for your, or when you're signing a contract for your house is like, this is all good and valid on this date. Mm-hmm. That's why you date it. But on that date, there's like a lot of time in a day. If you start writing contracts with a block height, <laughs> you can put it on the future just like any other date but it's not a um, it's not a specific date and time. It's just a specific time, a specific moment in mm-hmm. the future. And on a twenty four hour network, that's all you really care about. Like my job, we got to deal with weekends. It's like, oh, we can't take, we can't initiate a transaction on a weekend, so we have to move the date that the transaction starts. Yeah. But on a twenty four seven network, no. If you want to execute this transaction. At this specific moment in time, it will execute at this specific moment in time. There's nothing stopping it. And so our concept of weekends and banking holidays and business days, that all just doesn't really work on a Bitcoin standard. And so block height is optional. You don't have to use it. And a lot of people don't have a use case for it yet. So a lot of people aren't using it. But we use it, right? We date our podcast with it. We do, yeah. Right? And it's not... I was going to say, I have no use case for it, but then you said that. (laughs) Right? But that's my point. We use it. Yeah. And so maybe your cousin didn't know what what we were talking about, and maybe people who were listening before this episode didn't know what we were talking about, but more people are getting exposed to this other form of time, and they may have a use case that we don't know about. This is just exposure to the fact that Bitcoin is a timekeeping mechanism. 
And if you can think of a reason why you might need to use something like block height, as I just described it, use it. And that just means you're closer to becoming a, you know, full on Bitcoiner, right? When we first started the podcast, we didn't say the word block height. We didn't. We didn't have it on the, the, um, the graphics or anything. Now we do. We're one step closer into the Bitcoin world. Yeah, I said I, I didn't have a use case for it, but I just remembered I ran upstairs to get it. We got a postcard from Ian's bestie, Bowen, uh, and it was very cute. He like opened up the postcard the way we open up our uh, episodes, and in the top right corner, he put the block height. So block height was... Uh, Sun 51650, and he says, Dear Ian and Mondana, it's a beautiful day on Bitcoin Island. You can get 4,673 acres for one US dollar. Such a steal. <laughs> so I, I just love, I mean, the, just getting this postcard generally warmed my heart. But yeah, maybe this is how everyone can start a letter going forward. Yeah, and it's, it's um, again, it's something small. You don't have to do it. There's no effect if you don't do it. But when you're communicating with another Bitcoiner, it's almost like observing their culture, mm-hmm. right? It's like you said, oh, in Iran, we have a different calendar. And it's like, yeah, and if I were there and someone said, whatever January is, I would have to go along <laughs> with that, right? I couldn't tell them, no, that's not what it is. It's January. Um, so this is just like cultural observation of the Bitcoin culture. Yeah. And we're just continuing to dip our toes in it. The idea here around the podcast is we don't we don't try to go deep on a lot of stuff. It's just kind of exposing people to a lot of the concepts and ideas and hopefully they drive your curiosity and, you know, kind of drive you to go learn a little bit more about these things on your own. But this is something that like in talking to your cousin, like I got a better understanding of it just trying to explain it. And so I thought it was important to explain it because after that conversation, I think it's as important, if not more important, than the actual underlying asset that's moving on the mm, Bitcoin network itself. Interesting. So yeah, guys, keep your questions coming. They get Ian's little noodle working, and it gives us more fun stuff to talk about on the show. All right, guys, it's time for shout outs. But as a reminder, if you're listening on a platform other than Fountain and want to support the show, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com slash support and check out all the other ways it's possible to show us some love. So here's a shout out to some of our top supporters from the past week on Fountain. First up is Hello There, Changbang, The Real Steve, Hunters F770, BSD Wolf, User 152050, get a real username, please. We want to be able to say your name. <laughs> Bitcoin Grandma and P Ninja. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next episode. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So, what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything. 
some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old-fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term, value for value. To learn more about how to support the pod, visit flirtingwithbitcoin.com support. And don't forget to subscribe so we can always keep in touch. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. Oh, 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 oh,